All right, thank you for being back tonight, and thank you for being faithful. Great service this morning. We're going to be looking at the verses here. We're going to be um, going back to something we've been looking at over the last few weeks. Sometimes I plan series, and sometimes it just happens. We've been talking about um, uh, what would help us not to quit. I guess that's an easy way to put it, so that we continue in the faith. I love the word in the New Testament, continue, right? And uh, in the book of Acts, they got saved, and they continued. They didn't just stop after salvation, or they did not go forward after salvation. Uh, they kept going forward in their faith. They continued on. That's what we call our, our discipleship uh, book and so forth. So uh, that's very, very important. So we've been talking about it, and especially now with our, with our theme, now is the time. Really, now is the time not to quit on God. And nobody that does ever thought that they would, Right? And far better, as I mentioned this morning, far better people than us have got tripped up in their faith and, 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 and quit growing in their faith and quit going forward for God. We need Christians nowadays who are serious about God and who understand all that is at stake in their lives spiritually if they, and they, if they quit. And so they'll do whatever it takes to stay faithful to God at all costs. And keep going forward. There are two great needs that we really need. We need consistency as Christians. And we need commitment as Christians. By the way, those two go together. If we're committed to God, and it's not just words, that commitment leads to consistency. We'll be faithful. We'll, we'll if, you know, if we're, if we're coming to church, we're going to come faithfully. Now, if you're sick, sick, stay home. That's what live stream's for. But if you're watching on live stream and you're not sick, you should have been here. Okay, you're missing out. Um, but, you know, if we're in a ministry, we're consistent to it. And when it comes to our time with God, we're consistent with it. And so commitment helps us with that. If someone is committed, they will be consistent. And a person who's consistent is showing that they are committed. Um, it's very important that we're like that because no matter who we are, times come that try us. Uh, times come, difficult situations, maybe things we don't understand. And if we don't have that consistency in place and we don't have that commitment in place, there can be an opportunity to quit. And by the way, no one ever just quits completely. You know what they start quitting on? They start backing off just a little bit, right? Start missing some things. It usually starts with their Bible reading and starts with things of that nature. And then their service and their, uh, their, their, their uh, attendance to church and those type of things. And slowly but surely. So we need to be very, very careful about that. There's never a legitimate excuse to quit. But being in the flesh, things happen, and Satan, our spiritual enemy, starts throwing the sign. Is it really worth it? Is this something we should really commit our lives to? And we need to fight that. We need to go over it. Really, a sign of strength is an ability to get over difficult situations and keep going. Anybody can quit when times get tough. I don't know if you remember, if you're an old-timer, uh, I wouldn't remember. Someone told me about it. There's a lady named Wilma Rudolph. Anybody ever heard of her? Uh, in the 1960 Olympics, by the way, just so you know, that was before I was born, okay? Uh, she's like, wait, no, stop, stop doing the mental math. I was nowhere not born. I was negative. You figure it out later, okay? Uh, she won the 100-meter, 200-meter, and she was part of the 400-meter relay team, three gold medals, which means she was really fast, okay? That's sprinting. That's running. But, you know, as a child, she had, I believe, polio or some type of disease like that. The doctors told her, you will never 
walk. But as a youngster, she said, I don't know if she said this. I was going to say, she said hogwash. I don't even know if she said that. But she said, I'm going to fight it. And she went through all that she had to go through, and she went through and eventually wore braces on her legs the whole nine yards, but she overcame that. There's always a reason to quit. And uh, I want to look at, I want to pick up where we left off last week. I'm using the ver- these verses here as a jumping on point. If you were here last week, you, you, or I think it was last week, you, you'll know where I was with it. But we're in the book of Hebrews. We don't know 100% for sure who wrote the book of Hebrews, Okay. I personally believe some things it was Paul, but it's just, that's just uh, Steveology. I'm not sure if that's true, okay? There's a few clues there, and I'm wondering, like, hey, I think Paul wrote it. Uh, the, first, uh, the first, we added the, the last two verses of chapter 11 to what we read at the beginning of chapter 12. We understand that, by the way, they're very beneficial and helpful, and, and I, I think God was in it, but, you know, the chapter divisions aren't necessarily inspired. And sometimes we get to a chapter, and there's things before it that tie into what is being said in the new chapter, and it helps us understand it, and I want us to get this real quick. Uh, in chapter 11, it's what we call the hero's hall of faith. This is, he goes through many of the Bible characters who, what they accomplished because of faith. And, um, and that's, what, that's what we were coming out of with chapter 11. They did a lot. He mentions Noah. Noah's mentioned because Noah built the ark, He didn't quit during a time when really he and his family were the only ones who were righteous and believers. Abraham is mentioned. You know, Abraham was called by God, you know, like, hey, I want you to travel somewhere. Where? You don't know, but just go. I'll let you know when you get there. And God used him. And by faith, because he believed God, and there's other stories. Moses is mentioned, who believed God enough to leave Egypt and his position to identify with his people who were slaves and in bondage, and God used him to get them out. So that part of the chapter, most of it is all these Bible characters and all the things they did by faith. And then you get to the last part of the chapter, and he mentions a bunch of different ones. And it's not necessarily what they did by faith. It's what they endured for the faith. Uh, And so we're going to look at these different things here. Uh, We come to chapter 12. We are encouraged to learn from these people. Look at verse 1 of chapter 12. He says, wherefore? Now what's wherefore is? It's hearkening back to chapter 11. All those great heroes of the faith that, that accomplished great things and all those heroes of the faith that suffered because they, they believed in eternity and they believed that they should not compromise their faith. He says, wherefore, seeing we are compassed about, encircled, with so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, Paul is giving a racing illustration here, and he says we're almost like encompassed about. There's there's witnesses that we have uh, that are witnessing to us and watching what we're doing. And what, what are they? They're watching us run our lives. They're watching us live our faith. Okay, and, and we have these witnesses, and they're watching us, and, 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 and we're coming after them. And he says, continue to run your race. Paul used that analogy in 2 Timothy 4, 7. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. A sporting analogy is a really uh, easy way to, to understand the endurance and the patience and the diligence it takes to live for God. 
We think, well, you know, it's just some fly-by-night thing. No, it's something we need to be committed to. It's something we need to be consistent with if we as mentioned. But as we see here, running a race, as we, run, we have these great witnesses. They're examples to us of what we should do, right? And it's almost, I'll be honest with you, we are, we're not, I don't know if we're embarrassed in heaven, but we're kind of going to be embarrassed when we get to heaven. Think about it this way. I heard a pastor say this once. He goes, you know, when we get to heaven, we'll meet like, you know, some of the disciples and apostles. Like, so, you know, what happened? How did you get to heaven? Like, you know, uh, Peter, I was crucified upside down for my faith. You know, uh, so we'll meet some of the great martyrs, and I can mention their names and some of the great. And they're like, you know, I was burned at the stake because I wouldn't renounce Christ. And then they might look at us and say, so how did you get here? You know, we're going to say, cholesterol. <laughs> you know? I was sleeping when I was, I was driving when I, sleeping when I was driving, and I didn't see that brick wall. Okay? Um, and I don't know if there's an embarrassment factor there, but, and, and it's not there to condemn us, but it's there to motivate us. If these people could do like that in those times, surely we can live for God in our times. But Paul's trying to tell us, you, you, you want to finish your course. Do everything you can. In verse 1, he tells us the way we shouldn't run. We shouldn't have heavy baggage. We shouldn't, be, we, shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't have besetting sins that are stopping us. Instead, we should run with patience. And we should run and perform our race that's set before us. And by the way, all of us have a race to run. Every single one of you. God needs every single one of you. He does. Someone has said, like, mem church membership is you are God's gift to the church because there's something you can do. And although our races are different, we all have one, and it's God's desire that we finish those races, that we do not quit. But as we get to verse 2, we've come through the example of all the Old Testament believers and what they went through, and then we come to a new example. Look at verse 2. He says, looking un." To Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is our example. He shows us the path to go. We think, we think it was easy for Jesus. Yes, he was God in the flesh, but he wasn't here to prove it and use his powers to make his life safe. He was here to die for our sins. And he looked to the cross with joy. In verse 2, there's an admonishment for us to look to him for determination. For consider him, think about it, think about him, that endured such contradictions of sinners against yourself, lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. Whenever we want to quit, we ought to think about Jesus Christ. We ought to think about everything that he went through. None of us are going to go through anything that he ever went through. Nobody in eternity, throughout history, has went through what Jesus Christ willingly placed himself through for us. Why did he do that? He said, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Because when we quit outwardly, we've already quit inwardly. What starts in the mind is finished in our actions. What is the whole point? This is introduction. Examples are great for us. And as we started with last week, we wanted to look at the one thing that guarantees that we don't quit. It's the Word of God. That's it. 
You can try a lot of different things, but there's one thing that I know for sure as I look at the testimony of Scripture that will keep us going. It's the Word of God. We started this last week, and I had a lot more notes, but I only got through one character. And I want us to see that. Last week, we looked at Jeremiah. If you'll remember in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, he was, he was, he was preaching a very unpopular message. Uh, um, um, you know, uh, uh, um, just the, the, there's a war coming, and we're supposed to surrender. Now, people aren't in on that. But God said, look, this is my punishment. You need to surrender. And if you surrender, you'll live. If you don't, you're not, it's not going to end well for you. And as Jeremiah preached that, and the enemies at the gate, they didn't like it. And they locked him up, they put him in stocks, and in, if you remember, this is just brief, he said, he said uh, in verse 9 of chapter 20, he said, Then said I, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. Here's a prophet saying, I'm not going to even talk about him, and I'm not going to say anything he wants me to say anymore. I am done. But then he says this, but his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. He said, you know, I wanted to quit. I already decided. I'm not going to preach for him, and I'm not going to preach about him. I'm not even going to talk about him. And he says, but that word of God was in my heart, and it was burning so much, fighting against my desire to quit, I couldn't quit. I fought it, and I fought it, and I'm like, you win. I'm not quitting. That's what the Word of God does for us. Now, I want us to look at another one. So, the Word of God helped Jeremiah not to quit when he was discouraged. I want us to look tonight briefly. I won't, go, I won't be long because we have the, the, the offering counters uh, meeting. I want us to look at Peter. Peter's another example. Like those in, in the Old Testament examples in, in Hebrews 11, Peter's a New Testament example. Turn your Bibles over to Luke chapter 22, please. I want it, you know Peter, and we're going to read a few verses here and give you the story. We'll make a little bit of application tonight. Peter didn't quit despite failure. Failure. Now, that's really getting up to our level, right? Now, I said this morning the best mistakes to learn from are others, but the fact of the matter is uh, we do still sometimes fail in what we're doing, Right? You say, well, pastor, I've never failed in anything spiritually. I'm going to tell you why. You've never tried to do anything spiritually. Okay, I'm sorry. It just, this is how it works. Sometimes you fall flat on your face. Sometimes you do things, and as soon as you do it, it's like, why did I do that? That's very inconsistent with what I want to be in my life, right? And at that time, the enemy, and we'll get to it, he rears his ugly head. So I want us to look at Peter. Look at Luke chapter 22, verse 54. He goes, Jesus now is, is being taken. Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house, and Peter followed afar off. Let me give you the, the gist of the story here, right? Peter had already told his disciples that, look, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be taken. They're going to crucify me, and, and I'm going to die. And the disciples had a really hard time grasping that concept. That would be okay except for one thing. He told them straight out, this is what's going to happen. So then they, and then he says, all of you are going to forsake me. Now, Peter steps up. I, I like Peter. Peter is very, very human in the Bible, right? He says what he thinks even if it's not the right thing or before he thought it through. And sometimes he did some things he shouldn't do. I still like it when they arrested Jesus and he tried to cut the guy's head off. I really appreciate that. You say, oh, I like that. That's violence. I know, because you're a lady. Guys, we like that kind of thing. 
and, and the guy ducked, and off goes his ear, and Jesus is like, hey, hey, put it away. That's not, the, that's not the time for this, and he heals the guy's ear. But Peter, and then Peter's like, but Peter said, I'm not going to forsake you, Jesus. And then he looks around, and he goes, these guys, they may do it, but not me. I'm different. Well, let's see how that worked out for him, shall we? Je Jesus was arrested, and he did leave. By the way, not only that, Jesus, since Peter was the one that was really coming forward, all of them said, no, we're going to forsake you. Je Peter said, not only I, these guys may, not me. And Jesus said, look, before the night's over, you're going to deny me. Peter's like, no, no way. Because when the cock crows, you're going to hear it. You'll know that you did it. So what, Peter, what does Peter do? He runs like all the others in a moment of fear. At least he did it after he cut someone's ear off. Verse 55. And when they had kindled, he's following. Jesus is being arrested. Now Peter's kind of hiding out. He's following from a distance. You know, like most Christians do in their life. But anyhow, verse 55. I don't, I'm sorry. Sometimes I'm sarcastic and I try not to be. Pray for me, okay? I'll get over that someday. Maybe like when i am been in heaven for 100 years. Um, Verse 55, and when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat among them. So it's kind of cold. He's out there with the group. There's a fire. And a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, this man was also with him. And he denied, saying, woman, I know him not. By the way, denied. And that would, he, Jesus said he would do. Verse um, 58. And after a little while, another man saw him and said, Thou art also of them. You're part of that group. And Peter said, Man, I am not. So he's talked to a man and he's talked to a woman about it. Verse 59. And about the space of one hour after another confidently affirmed, someone said, I guarantee you were there. They said, Of a truth, this fellow was with him, for he's a Galilean and says, You're even, the right, the right, you're even from the right part of the country. And Peter said, man, I know him not. Now, the other Gospels tell these stories too, and it's a little worse. He not only denied, he cursed. He's like, man, they're not buying my denial, so I better like, I better like ratchet it up so they'll believe it. He started cursing. Now, look what happens after he denies. Verse 61. Oh, why he, while he yet spake the cock crew, that was the sign that Christ gave him. And the Lord looked, turned, and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered what? The word of the Lord. How he said unto him, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. That word that Jesus gave him came back to him at the moment that he needed it. He, he should have probably remembered it before he did that, but there was a plan in there. But as soon as he did it, Jesus sees him, cock crows, and all of a sudden, the word. It's like, Jesus said this was going to happen. And then what does he do? His Bible says he went out, wept bitterly. What did he do? He's repenting. He felt horrible. It was a really bad time for him. One of the areas, again, Peter's a great man. People make mistakes, right? And when you make mistakes, you got to own up to it. You know, when we were in Bible college, I went to, at that time, it was the largest church in America. They were like 20,000. It was in a very depressed part of town, right? And so on the backside of the church, they had bought, there was a bunch of old, old empty buildings, and, and the church had bought some of them and was using them for Sunday school. 
We used to have Sunday school on the sixth floor for the third and fourth graders, and it was an old building. It didn't have an elevator, okay? So we up the stairs, got a lot of steps in. And, and so they bought another building, and they were going to use it. They were going to knock it down and use that part for a parking lot. And, um, and so one of the staff members was in charge of getting it knock, knocked down. And so he, you know, he came into the, to the meeting and said, hey, did you get the building tore down? Are we, how are we going on that? He goes, oh, I didn't get that done yet. And he, he said he was a little bit irritated. He goes, I got this. Don't worry about it. He goes, no, I'll get it done. He goes, no, no, I'll take care of it. You can't get it done. I'll get it done. And he did. He got the building tore down. Took care of it himself. Small problem. It was a wrong building. They didn't own that building. <laughs> but he came into church, and I was there. It's like, you know what? We'll try to get this settled. We'll try to buy that other building. If not, I'll take care of the whole thing. And uh, we all make mistakes, right? Now, I'm not going to tear down any buildings, all right? So we, tear, we tore down two here once. But we all make mistakes. We're all human. But the important thing is, what keeps us going forward once we make those mistakes? What happened to Peter? That's one of the good things about the Bible. The Bible helps keep us in line. But you know what else it does? It also helps us to get back in line when we get out of line. You see, there has to be something in there to say, hey, that was not the right way to act. Hey, you should not have done that. Why? Is God trying to condemn us? No. God's trying to get us back online. And the word of God is great. It's a reminder of what we should be doing or what we should not be doing. And can I just tell you something? That's why some people don't like the Bible. That's what our society, we live in a time when people do not want truth. I mean, come on, let's look at it just from a political standpoint. I'm not talking about left or right, you know. If you get up and say something like, that's offended me because I don't believe that. Get over it. You can believe what you want, but you don't have a right to shut somebody up because you don't like what they believe. And so what we do is like, we don't want to be in the Bible because I'll just be really honest with you. The Bible can be really convicting. You know, you read it, it's like, oh, yeah, you know. We're supposed to be, you know, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, okay, I, I, I'm good with that. Joy, that's a good one. Peace, that's great. Long-suffering. Patience. Kindness. Those are hard. See, the, the flesh fights that. You know that, right? And so we have to get in the word of God because it's trying to get us. When we fall and come short, God's spirit uses his word to convict us of our failure and rebellion. So it leads to forgiveness and restoration. But if we are going to bypass his word, it's not going to work. The reason Jesus told him the word is so that word was there and once he, made, he failed, that word came back and it got him back to where he needed to be. We all need that because all of us will have problems. I want you to understand this though. When we do wrong, there's a huge difference because, between God's, uh, the, spirit of, the Spirit's um, um, conviction and Satan's condemnation. Because our enemy's right there. 
He wants to use what we've done wrong to get rid of, to, for us to quit. God wants to convict us so we're restored. You understand that? That is the purpose. And by the way, you can always have forgiveness. Now, I understand, well, Pastor, I thought when I trusted Christ as my Savior, I would, all my sins were forgiven. That's right. Your record in heaven is clean. And your sins will not affect where you spend eternity. We're not going to go stand before God and he's going to look at all of our sins one by one and all that. There's no condemnation if we're in Christ. Those, the record's clear. If he pulls out the record of everything you've done, your record has been cleansed. When I was younger, and I wasn't a Christian, I, I had a lot of, uh, uh, let's just say, moving violations. I mean, at first, when I got my motorcycle, I didn't, I didn't get a license. Now, they were a lot more patient back. I got pulled over all the time. I just looked like a troublemaker, and they pulled me over just to see what I was doing. And I'm like, where's your license? I'm like, uh, sir, um, by the way, I found out if you're kind to them, they like that. I just, I just be polite and tell them the truth. They're like, you need to go get that taken care of. And a lot of times they say, you know, you've been good, you've been I'll let you go. But not all of them. And I had probably about seven or eight tickets, and I tried to take care, I took care of them. And I remember when we moved back to California, I thought I had taken care of all of them, and I just wanted to make sure. So I went down to the courthouse, I said, I want to see my record for all those old tickets, just make sure that there's nothing there. And they pulled my record out, record out and they said, because of the length of time and your age at the time, they have been, I think the word's sponged. It sounds like they took a sponge and just wiped it clean. They're not on your record anymore. Now, they, they were there for a while, trust me, but they were gone. Do you know your record of sins? He doesn't see your sins anymore. He sees the righteousness of Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that because of that, that we can go live like the devil and sin. You say, well, pastor, if I sin and do wrong, I'm not going to hell. That's right. But your relationship with God's going to be hindered. And you will pay a price for your sin on this earth. That's why when we sin, the thing to do is to let God deal with us and let's get the thing fixed. Forgiveness is not only available, it's a necessity. I want you to turn over to 1 John, if you would. 1 John chapter 1. We know these well. 1 John chapter 1. And let's look at verse 8. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, we have a bookstore. You should get one, okay? That's a free commercial. First okay. John chapter 1, verse 8 says, if, if some of these are familiar, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And then the verse we all love, and it's a great verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can't even unpack that in, 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 a, in a message. It's so... There's so much there. If we say, verse 10, we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And look what he says, and his word is not in us. What is he saying here? He tells us, and this is how we get right when we fail and we're convicted of what we've done wrong. He tells us in verse 8, we must be honest about the fact that we have sinned. We need to come to grips with it, right? You know, it's like when you have children, like, hey, did you do that? You know, and they're all like this. Here comes the story. Right? It's like, you ever ask him for something? Hey, who did this? It's like, here comes the guilt crowd. Uh, I didn't do it. 
And I'm like, sister, I didn't ask who didn't do it, okay? I, I, I don't need to figure that. I want to know who did it. But you know how it is. And they're not, they're, and by the way, uh, parents, let me, don't, make, let, make your kids take responsibility. Well, you know, it's because of this and this and that. Say, no, stop. I'm not, I'm, I'm not telling you you're a bad, horrible person. Did you do it? Just let's work on that. Did you, don't, don't lie about it. But we have a, a bunch of adults that grow up and, and they'll do all kinds of stuff and they'll justify anything. By the way, it, it sickens me how people will take rotten things that are going on in our society today and try to justify it by the Bible. That's horrid. That didn't go over very well. That's horrid. Now, I'd have more respect for someone that did something and said, I know it's wrong, I know God doesn't want it, but I'm just going to do it anyhow. I'd have more respect than a person trying to take something evil and make it right by the scriptures. But we have to be honest with ourselves. You're going to sin. I'm going to sin. And if I say in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We're lying to ourselves. And you know how come we can lie to ourselves? Look what he says. And the truth is not in us. Well, of course, if we're not going to listen to the truth and let the Spirit of God use the truth, of course we're going to be able to lie to ourselves. We can talk ourselves into anything. Then, if we're going to get fixed, we must agree with God that what we did was wrong. Verse 9. That's what confession is, by the way. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Now, let me just explain quickly what that means. That doesn't mean like, by the way, I've been doing this for a super long time. One of the things that helped me was being a youth director. If you're a youth director, you can be a truth detector. And back in the days when I was a youth director, we were reaching all these gang kids, okay? And so, you know, uh, I'd find out something they were doing, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to be proactive and help them. And I'd pull them in and say, hey, um, I'm just checking. Did, did you, were you involved in this? Did you do this? Oh, no, Brother Myers, I was not involved. I, I would never do that. And then I'm, okay. Oh, by the way, I was talking to so-and-so. And then you see their face change. And I was like, yeah, I did it. No, that's not confession. That's getting caught. Big difference, right? Okay, but here's what confessing is in the, in the Bible. When we confess our sins, we're like, okay, God, you caught me, and I did wrong, please forgive me. That's not confession. Confession is, God, I know I've done wrong. Here's the tough part. You ready? Because people say, well, we can just confess the same sin every day and get over it. Here's the problem. Confession isn't just knowing I did wrong. It's agreeing with God that it's wrong. You caught me. You know what, Lord? That was horrible. I shouldn't have done that. I know that's wrong. Do you understand the spirit, different as spirit? So if we confess our sins, we have to understand and agree that, yes, what I did was wrong. As I mentioned this morning, when we're wrong, sometimes we grieve the heart of God. And, and I know we don't want to do that, but that's what it is. And we have to say, God, I know that's wrong, and I'm looking at your word. And by the way, as a Christian, let me just say this. If we know something is wrong from God's word, we ought not want to do it. Not finding some shortcut. We're not looking for a loophole. We want to be on board with God. He says if we confess our sins, since he is faithful to forgive us. So we have to just agree, God, yes, what I did is wrong. You say, how do I know what sins I've, I've, I've done? This is real simple. 
get on your knees, say, Lord, I know I've sinned. And God will say, I know. And here it comes flooding in. Now, I know you'll never do this, right? But there have been times where I'm praying and there's something on my mind. I'm like, I got to deal with that. And it's like, but I'm just going to soldier through. Just going to keep going forward. God, bless this person, bless that person, blah, 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 blah. And God's like, hey, deal with that. It's like, Lord, I got to stop. That was wrong. You understand what I'm saying? And so that's what we need to do. But not just that. There's another part. Confession, we know we've done wrong. We agree with God that it's wrong. And then we must desire not to just get forgiveness, but to get cleansing. What does he say? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? We don't want to be unrighteous. Cleansing takes it away. So we're going to go to God, really, and confess it and ask him to forgive us when we know in our mind that we're just going to go right back and do it. Does that make sense? What does Proverbs say about that? That's like the the pig coming out of the mud and getting cleaned up just to jump right back in the mud, right? No. The word of God helps us get over all this, by the way. If we do not desire cleansing, then we are not really confessing. Lord, I know I did wrong, and and I agree with you that what I did was wrong, Lord, and I want forgiveness, and I want you to help me through your word and through my time with you to not do that again. That's real forgiveness and, and repentance. What does Proverbs tell us? Proverbs 28, verse 13 says, He that covereth sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth, and what? Do you know the verse, anybody? forsaketh. Whoa. It's two sides of the coin. I don't want my kids coming. If my children when they were younger came and did to me said I did this and it was wrong, I'm like, okay, I get it. Thank you for that. But I, I, I'm, my, my goal with them is like, now we're going to learn not to do that again. Don't do that again. Does that make sense? To come and just say, you know, I got caught. I'm wrong. And you plan on going doing it again. That's not confession. Anyhow, we're getting off and I want to get done here. By the way, I can always tell in dealing with issues over the years when someone is truly repentant and they really want to move on. They don't get mad at about the fact that they got caught. You ever notice that? But that's, that's the blame game. You know, they do something wrong. It's like, who, who turned me in? Who did this? It's like, well, time out. Do you want to get this thing Right. Do you really want God to to cleanse you and to change you? Or are you just mad that someone got on you? That's not right. And by the way, we blame this person, we blame that person. We should be thankful we got caught so that we did not continue in that path. When I was in Bible college, man, I went to the church in Indiana, it was huge. They, the new auditorium, if you've ever been there, was here. And next to it was the original building. It was like six stories high. It was like 178,000 years old. It was super old. And it had like caverns here and there. And after the Sunday night service, we would go on the night bus and take our kids home. And I had to go to the bus, um, the bus office because I worked. I did some work for the bus minister. And so I cut through there. I, I was just looking. I, I get lost in that building. I'm not kidding. And I was, I'm like, I think this leads, it was in the back of the alley. So I think this leads to the alley. And I went through this thing, and there, and I was, and I found the door to the alley, and there alone was a guy and a girl from the college, alone. Now, in our college, that was 
and no one else was around. And I didn't catch it, right? And I'm like, oh, hey, how you doing? And I ran out, and I ran to the thing. I got to my bus. I took off. I, I, I was really dancing in a hurry. I didn't think anything of it. It was really inappropriate. I'll be real honest with you. The next morning, uh, I got up early, and I was, I, I was going to go take a shower early in the dorms. And I was coming down the hallway. This guy lived in my dorm room, and no one else was up. On Monday mornings after the bus ministry, nobody got up early. And, and him and I were walking. I was walking down the hallway, and he came out. He goes, hey, let me talk to you for a minute. I'm like, okay. He said, I want to thank you for coming that way and, and, and finding me and my girlfriend alone. I'm like, I was just trying to get to the bus office. I wasn't like, you know, FBI. He said, if you wouldn't have come, we would have done something wrong. I'm like, whoa. He goes, took it a step further. He goes, and I'm going to go turn myself in for demerits because I know what I did violated school rules. Now, I walked away from there very, very, very impressed with that young man. And by the way, he's married to that lady, and I, I, I'm not going to mention his name, but if I mentioned his name, a lot of you would know who he is because he, he, he pastors a good-sized church. He's a good guy. He didn't, he didn't plan on it. But you know what? His spirit was right. I, 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 you know, it's like, hey, wrong place, wrong time, and, and I want to get it right instead of getting mad because... God pointed out your sin. By the way, can you tell me someone in the Bible that got mad at God because God pointed out his sin? Cain. God said, what are you doing? You better, why is your countenance falling? God, can you imagine having a bad attitude at God? He goes, look at your face. What, why, why do you have a bad attitude? He goes, you better watch out because sin lies at the door if you don't get that right. And guess what he did? He killed his brother. And so we need to be very, very, very careful. Now, what's the good thing about this? We know that Peter was sincere and got over it. You know why? Because 50 days later, Peter's in the book of Acts, preaching at Pentecost, and thousands are being saved. You know why? Because he didn't let this define who he was. You know, look, I'm going to be honest with you. You've been around. I, I, I'm, a pretty, I'm pretty straightforward with things, right? But, like, when, look, I'm trying, to, I'm, I'm trying to, like, hey, the bridge is out. In this area, the bridge is out. Don't go down there. But when someone does wrong, they think that, you know, the pastor's going to chew me out. We don't, it's like we don't need his. When we do wrong, we don't need history lessons. We need a plan to go forward. That's God's plan. If you know his word, you know what's going to happen? A lot of times, by the way, you'll be, you'll be saved from going into sin because it's, when you're starting to do something, you're going to feel uneasy. The Spirit of God's going to use the word of God to say, hey, 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 what are you doing here? But if not when we do wrong, the word of God's going to prompt us, the Spirit will use it to prompt us towards confession, repentance, and forsaking what we're doing. Because God's not done with you. God's not done with us. And we're not going to be, how do we deal with it? How do we make sure when we do something that's, that, that's wrong or out of character, and it could just be a failure in life, some other thing, how do we know we can keep going forward? We need the word of God in our hearts. We need to be willing to follow it. But Peter sat there, and he remembered the word of the Lord. The process started. And it led to him being used greatly. What about us? He said, Pastor, I've done wrong before, and, and I feel condemnation. That's Satan. You know, Satan will come to you and say, you can do that. You're a Christian. You know, you're under grace. Go for it. 
And then as soon as you do it, he's like, what are you doing? You're a Christian. That's how he is. But the Spirit of God convicts us not to condemn us, to get us right. Have you ever experienced failure? You say, Pastor, I'm doing pretty good right now. Good. But maybe there'll come a time. Don't let things stop you. And our relationship with the Word of God will help us. Let's bow our head and close our eyes for a minute if we may. Let's all stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't think, unless you're hiding something, I don't think we're all horrible sinners, but we are sinners. And every day we face that, that, that temptation. And every day there's that opportunity. And maybe there's something you've done. And it doesn't even have to be something horrific. Because usually the path down horrific sin starts with smaller sins. And if we can deal with the smaller sins correctly, you know what happens? It'll keep us from those other ones. But look, don't quit on God because you've had a failure. Don't quit on God because maybe you were online and something popped up and you didn't stop. You looked. And then you clicked here and you clicked there. Maybe that thing, it's like, I'm not going to do that. And, and, something, and yet, maybe it's a dishonesty. There are so many little things and big things that can stop us. But the Word of God prompts us to, to get back to where we need to be. It helps us to get there. God spoke to you at anything, about anything, the altar is open. Why don't you come? Say, Pastor, I come. I'm, I'm a horrible sinner. You're not a horrible sinner. We're trying to be careful. That's all. Because our desire is to be committed and to continue, be consistent.